Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. And specifically verse number one through verse number seven. James writes here, he says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and costly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Sit thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? Let's pray this morning. Lord, as we open your word, we understand that it is the scriptures that you have been given to us for our learning. I pray that you will grant us that we may hear them, read them, mark them, take them, and that through your Spirit, they may be applied unto our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here in the book of James, this section specifically, if we were going to just look at these verses, we could say that James is calling attention to or addressing the subject of being partial, or the subject of favoritism. That's why we've entitled this morning, The Way of Favoritism. If we were looking at that specifically, then we could take that and apply that in a specific way, but what James is doing here is much bigger than that. But this is a problem that we have. See, when I first met my wife, one of the things that attracted me to her was the fact that she was a kind person. One of the other things, this isn't part of what James was saying, the other things is she doesn't deal with drama. There was no drama with her. There were no, none of that. And I'd had enough of that from some previous relationships. So that attracted to me to her as well. But she was kind and she was inclusive. If there was someone who was by themselves, she would inevitably be over there talking to them. So that attracted me to her at one point. We date, we get married. I know y'all didn't know that, but that happened. We got married. And ironically, after we got married, something switched in my head. Some of y'all may know this about me. I am a extreme introvert. I absolutely hate being in front of people and I hate talking to people. And I picked the wrong job. <laughs> but because I am an extreme introvert and my wife is extroverted and she's kind to people, I have a tendency to live 
vicariously through her. So I put her forward and I live vicariously through my wife. And everybody sees me as being friendly and kind and inclusive when really it's my wife, but I just got her in front of me. And they say behind every good man is a good woman. Well, behind this man is nobody because I put the good woman in front of me. But what James is doing here is he's explaining exactly what I began to do after we got married. See, the way that I had my mind set was that when you go to church, you seek out the people who are important and you become friends with those people. The people who seemingly are spiritual or who are popular, you be friends with those people and then that way you can gain some influence in the church. In every other aspect of life, I was trying to push my wife towards people who I knew had influence as I lived vicariously through her, and I would get frustrated with her because she wouldn't want to do that. She would want to be over with the people that I knew were the ones we weren't supposed to be hanging out with. It's like these people benefit us in no way, shape, or form. You know why I did that? Because I'm a sinner. You know why all of us do that? Because we're all sinners. And in a sense, that's what James was addressing here in these specific verses. He was telling them, you are being partial. You are showing favoritism towards people. And that's not what you're supposed to do. And yes, we could very well take this section of scripture and I could spend the entire time telling you that what we ought to be doing is playing with everybody on the playground, being kind to everybody, showing everybody the same amount of respect. And this is all true. This is how we should act and react with people. But what James is addressing here is bigger than that. James isn't just condemning them for showing favoritism. He's not just teaching them that they shouldn't be partial to people. He's addressing their attitude. And we're going to explain how he's doing that by calling back to chapter number one. He's expressing and addressing their attitude in showing favoritism more than he is addressing the fact that they are showing favoritism. And what he does is he addresses the wrong view of themselves and the wrong view of the future. Basically, what James is explaining through this text of Scripture is that their view of themselves and their view of the future was incorrect, and that was causing them to show favoritism. That was causing them to be partial towards people. And if you don't believe me, let's look back at the text that we covered last week. Verse number 26 and verse number 27 James says, if any man among you seem to be religious. So he's showing himself like he's a religious person. You walk in the door. He's the one that's got his Bible tucked up under his arm, is wearing the three-piece suit, got his hair combed, everything looks perfect, and he's shaking everybody's hands when they're coming in. That's, that's the one who's showing himself to be religious. And he breatheth not his tongue. His religion is vain. That's what the scripture says. So if he is saying things that doesn't match the doing, his religion is vain. It's vain to those around him. It's no good to those who are around him. If he looks religious, he seems religious, but what he is showing is not 
in line with what James will call pure religion, then it's no good to anybody. He says, pure religion and undefiled before the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. This is one of the things that we even looked at this past Tuesday at our recap group was how James was addressing these people. The idea that James is giving us here isn't simply that if we're going to really be truly religious people, if we're going to be real good Christians, that we need to visit the widows and orphans. But that pure religion is seen in helping those who can't help you. Does that make sense? Because a widow and an orphan can't help me in any way, shape, or form. They have nothing good to give to me. So pure religion, pure Christianity, the love of Christ is shown most in the fact that we are helping those who can't help themselves and who can't give us anything in return. It means that we don't just look at someone who has no influence, who has no social media followers, who has no no clout, and help them, but that we look to the people who have nothing to offer us. We don't show favoritism towards people because they have something to offer us. And James speaks to this specifically in the verse. So why does he say that we should be doing these things? The reason is pretty simple. We should be helping and we are called to help those. Specifically, James says to visit them in their affliction because that's exactly what God did to us. God visited us in our distress, in our affliction. And guess what? We had nothing to offer him. It's ironic to even think that There are some times that we have the idea that we have something to offer God, that we are good Christians. Even if you want to go to a different religion, there's some who think, well, if I martyr myself, that will be the supreme and ultimate sacrifice. You realize that God created the whole world. He owns everything. So why do we think that we have something that we can offer him, even our life? Why do we think that that is something worth offering to God, that he will be somehow pleased with something that we have to offer? We've gotten the wrong idea about ourselves when we have this attitude. And what we've got to do is, with James, understand that God visited us in our distress. We were all on the same level. We were all in the same need of the grace of God. There weren't any of us who needed God less than somebody else. And because God visited us in our affliction, James is calling us to change our mind about the way that we view other people. So James does this in our text in two different ways. James explains that we need to let go of the world's mindset, the world's idea, and grab hold solely and wholly onto Christ and our new identity, onto Christ and our coming future. James addresses this in two ways. Verses 1 through 4, he addresses what they were doing to prove that they didn't understand these things. And then verse 5 through 7, James addresses how they were thinking to understand that they didn't understand these things. 
So verse number one through four, what were they thinking? Or to bring it a little closer home, what are we thinking? Well, let's read verse number one. James says, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Did you notice what James says here? Halfway through that verse, how does he define Jesus? He says, have not faith, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he explains who he is. He says, have not faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. One author explained it this way. He said that he means here that the respect of persons is inconsistent with faith of Christ. So they cannot be united together, and rightfully so. For we are by faith united into one body in which Christ is supreme. What James is calling us to understand, what he's calling us to grasp is that Christ is above all. He is the Lord of glory. And if he is above all, guess who's under him? Everybody and everything else. So if we're going to show favoritism to anybody, James says we ought to be showing favoritism to Christ because he is supreme. James is seeing here the distinction that Jesus is the Lord of glory. And if he is the Lord of glory, then he doesn't distinguish people either. Because, again, guess who's under him? Everybody. There's nobody who is higher than Christ. He, the scriptures tell us, is no respecter of person. He doesn't show favoritism towards anybody. And that's really good news. Because if Christ showed favoritism, I would be in trouble. Because as we've said, we had nothing to offer Christ. We had nothing to give to him. So James is explaining to them, if you understand your identity rightly, you understand that you have been given faith in Christ, the Lord of glory, and you can't hold on to this while you're holding on to respecter of persons. You can't hold on to the two. You either have to let go of one or let go of the other. You have to let go of this worldly mindset or you have to let go of Christ. They were connecting benefits somewhere that it shouldn't be connected. They were connecting benefit to people being above them and below them when where they need to connect their benefit was to Christ. And that's what he says back in chapter number one, does he not? He said, let him who is low be exalted in Christ. He said, if you really want to show how exalted you are, grab hold of Christ. We all have the tendency to be able to, or the desire to want to come and tell people who we know. We want to have that that little chip where we can have a claim to fame. We know this famous person. We're friends with this famous person. But what James is saying, if we're going to find exaltation, we need to find exaltation in Christ. 
If we want to claim that we know somebody, claim that you know Christ. Yes. That's the beginning of what they were doing and the change in identity that they needed. They were connecting benefit to something that they did not need to be connecting benefit to. And you have to realize that these people were poor. They had been run off from their homes. So they were just looking at the rich people and saying, hey, we need these people. We need them. With the church finances need to be able to grow. They were connecting towards riches instead of connecting in faith. They were looking towards their future by how they could get ahead in who they knew rather than looking towards their future that Christ had promised them. So they were trying to add benefit in places that didn't belong. Verse number two and three, they were fracturing themselves by placing value in the wrong place. And they were doing a poor job of showing Christianity, of showing Christ, of showing what James calls pure religion. Verse number two and three, he gives us an example of how they were doing this. He said, for if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come also a poor man in vile raiment, and you say to the Ye, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand there, or sit here under my footstool. See, what they were doing here by not understanding their identity correctly, not understanding who Christ was correctly, they were fracturing their assembly. This wasn't an assembly that displayed unity in Christ. Rather, it was an assembly that was being fractured because of a worldly mindset. You had the rich people all sitting in this corner. You had the poor people all sitting in this corner. You had the ones with influence sitting on this side. You had the one with no influence sitting on this side. You had the Jews back here, the Gentiles up here. They were fracturing themselves into different groups rather than seeing themselves as unified in Christ around the gospel. Yes. And if we don't understand our identity, if we don't understand who we are and whose we are, this is what we begin to do even with ourselves. Now, I understand that we have different personalities and we will be drawn to different people. We'll be able to connect with people in different ways. But that isn't what James was talking about here. He was talking about intentionally showing favoritism because it will gain you something. Not understanding that you have already gained all in Christ. He said, if you do these things, if you don't understand who you were, who you are in need of grace, then you're going to fracture your assembly. Instead of having a unified body, you're going to walk into division, to backbiting. That's what Paul calls over and over again. He addresses in the churches that he writes epistles to because that was what they were doing. They were backbiting. They were gossiping. They were doing all these things. And why were they doing them? Well, James tells us because they were showing favoritism. Because they were being partial. Because they were saying, well, these people need more grace because they were sinners than I was. And these people, well, they didn't need as much grace because they were better than I was. And they see themselves splitting off into different groups. And by doing that, when that happens, it is a poor job of showing those around us who Christ is. Paul says, he talks about the body not being split, that it being members all one and together. 
if we're not understanding who we are, if we're not understanding, and when I say who we are, we're all in the same need of the gospel, in the same need of the grace of God. None of us have, have got a step above the next guy. Because we've all been exalted in Christ and are on the same level. When we don't understand that, we show a broken picture to those around us. We show a fractured picture of Christ. Christ is not fractured. But when we don't understand these things, we show Christ as being fractured. We show him as being split apart. Verse number four, James continues. He said, not only were they fracturing themselves by placing value in the wrong places, but they were seeing distinctions where there shouldn't have been any distinctions. Again, why? Because we are all needing the same grace of God. We all need the same gospel. None of us have gotten to the point that we no longer need to know that we are sinners and that Christ is the Savior. He says that in verse number four. He says, are ye not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? He said, by being partial towards others, you've become partial yourselves. To put this negatively, James is saying, have you gotten to the point to where your conscience thinks that you no longer need a judge. Have you arrived? Have you gotten to the point where you no longer need anybody to judge you? You remember back in chapter number one? Have you gotten to the point to where you look in the word of God and you see how good you've been doing and you walk away and you forget what you read because you, I got it all. I checked all the boxes. I'm good. All my standards are all at the tip top. I'm good to go. James is saying, has that the point you've gotten to? You no longer need to judge because you have hit the pinnacle. Or put another way. <laughs> Do you not think anybody knows what you think about, what you are doing? He's saying, in one way, do you think that you have reached the pinnacle? Or in another way, do you think that you're hiding who you are from people? When we have this attitude, when we see ourselves as being above our need for grace, being out of a state of sin, hitting some level of perfection, when we see ourselves that way, We become judges, evil judges is what James says. Judges of evil thoughts. So he addresses the way that they were doing things. How they were showing impartiality. How they were showing favoritism in the way that they were doing things. But then in verse number 5 through verse number 7, he addresses the way that they were thinking about things. Or... I begin to bring it closer to home the way that we think about things. Verse number five. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? There are at least two things that I want to see in this verse. But real quick, 
and take a side break, commercial, whatever you call it. Go back and read to verse number 12. If you have your scriptures, go back and look at verse number 12. It says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised them that love him. Did I read that correctly? Yes, sir. He promised them that love him. So the way that we get this crown of life is that we love him, right? Yeah. Almost. Let's go back and look at verse number five of chapter number two. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? It's the same thing he's saying in James chapter number twelve, or James chapter number one, verse number twelve. The reward in verse number 12 is being an heir of the kingdom that is to come. How do we become an heir of the kingdom that is to come? We don't. We don't have to do anything to become an heir of the kingdom to come because what needs to be done has already been done for us. He says, it's been promised to them that love him. We look at this and we think James is giving us a requirement of how we can gain hold of this, but that's missing the point. James is calling them to a radical departure of an old mindset that they would have had. Deuteronomy chapter number 6, Deuteronomy chapter number 10 calls us to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul. We're not very good at that. Neither were the Jewish people that were called to do it. But that's what they were called to do under the old covenant. They were commanded to be lovers of God. But if you look in James chapter number 5, what is the distinction that James makes? Or I'm sorry, in verse number 5, chapter number 2, what is the distinction that James makes there at the beginning of the verse? Hearken. Who? My beloved brethren. James hasn't gotten away from the gospel here. Even in his calling them not to be partial, not to show favoritism to people, he's not gotten away from the gospel. Two or three verses, he's mentioning the gospel again. My beloved brethren. See, our primary identity And this is, again, where we start to miss things. Our primary identity is not that we are lovers of God, but that we are beloved of God. We are beloved brethren. He's saying you have been given something way bigger than what you are trying to gain by showing favoritism to get ahead. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world? Rich in faith. And heirs of the kingdom. He's saying God has loved those of us who are poorer than he is. Who is that? And he has made them rich in faith. He has made them heirs of the kingdom. Why? Because he's promised it to them that love him. Who does John tell us the ones that love him are? 
It's the ones that he loved first. We love him because he first loved us. God commanded those in the old covenant, those who are under the old covenant, to love him. But we are seen here as being beloved by seeing ourselves as the love, the beloved of God, we don't place ourselves as better than the next guy. We're not better at loving God than the next person. Because we all needed the same love. We all needed the same grace. We all needed the same gospel. Hopefully you're picking up what I'm putting down here. We were all on the same level. We all need the same thing. None of us have risen a step above the next guy. Whether we have been believers for 50 years or for five minutes, we're all on the same level. We all need the same gospel. To put more pointedly, we don't look at somebody as being more loving, loving God more than the next guy. But we don't put our love and our service towards people who can make us look like we're loving better. Does that make sense? We don't put things, when we understand that we have been given the grace of God, that we're on the same level of the grace of God, we don't have to take our work, our love, our service, and put it towards somebody that we think can raise us up. We're able to love others. We're able to serve others, not wondering what's in it for us because we have understood that we've been exalted in Christ. What we have is way better than what they could ever offer us. So we're able to serve people who can give us nothing, who can help us in no way because we know that God has served us and helped us when we could give him nothing and serve him in no way. He says, listen, hearken, listen up. My beloved brethren, God's given you way more than what you're trying to get. Let go of this worldly mindset that you've got to do something to get ahead, that you've got to do something to gain. Have no thought for what you will eat, for what you will wear. Realize you've been exalted in Christ. You've been promised. You've been an, you're an heir of the kingdom. If you want to talk about favoritism, you are literally an heir of the kingdom to come. So get rid of this mindset that you've got to do what you've got to do to get ahead. And it's 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 a worldly mindset. Y'all, everybody knows this phrase. It's not what you know, it's who you know. That's the worldly mindset. Right. Trying to figure out who it is that I can know, that I can be connected with, that I can do something greater, I can be better. In a spiritual sense, we get the same idea. We've got to be best friends with the pastor. We've got to be right in there with the pastor's family. This guy, he's been a spiritual leader for forever, so we've got to get in good with him. We've got to show them favoritism. James is saying, stop doing that. When you've got the businessman that comes into your assembly that has all the money, stop. Don't show favoritism towards him and not favoritism for the poor man. 
Because when you understand who you are, you weren't the rich guy, you were the poor guy. And God showed love to you and made you heir of the kingdom. Verse number six. If we're going to show the world how God treats people, then we ought to treat others like we've been treated. Verse number six, he says, but you have despised the poor. He said, listen up. You were beloved. You've been heirs of the kingdom, but you've despised the poor. And if there is a way that we can miss a presentation of the gospel, that's it. We believe the gospel is good news for everyone, right? Rich, poor, irrelevant. If it's good news for everyone, it's really good news for the poor. It's really good news for the downtrodden. It's really good news for the sinner. It's really good news for the guy that can't kick addiction. It's really good news for the one who can't get ahead in life. It's really good news for the one who comes from a broken family. It's really good news for an orphan. It's really good news for specific people. It's good news for us all, but it's really good news for some people. If somebody walked up and gave me $1,000, that would be good news for me. But if somebody walks up and gave a homeless man $1,000, that's going to be really good news for him. What they were doing, James says, you have despised the poor. He said, you have taken the good news away from those who needed it the most. And you tried to give the good news to the ones that didn't really stand as much in need. You're misplacing the gospel. You're not showing how God treated you as poor, miserable sinners. You're displaying a God who will only give the gospel to those who have something to bring with them. You're displaying a God who will only give the gospel to those who have their life together. And we've been guilty of that because how many times have you heard someone say, well, I want to believe, but I need to get my life cleaned up first. I won't, I won't, I believe what you're saying, but I got to quit, I got to quit doing these things. Because we've shown them a God who despises the poor. Because we don't understand who we were. So he rebukes them. He, he, tell, he calls them beloved over here, and then he kind of slaps them in the face on the side. Say, you've despised the poor. You've messed up the picture of the gospel. And he continues towards the end of this text. He says, do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you've been called? He said, you have connected your mindset to the mindset of the world instead of the mindset of faith. He said, you've gotten this thing so twisted that you are showing favoritism towards those who are in complete opposition to God rather than those who need it the most. So what is the text? What is the text ultimately trying to convey to us? What was James trying to convey to these Jewish people? Number one, 
we need to look at everybody through the eyes of Christ by understanding how he looked at us. That God proved his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We understand that we are saved by grace. It was nothing that we could offer. There's nothing that we could bring to the table. It was only by the grace of God. Vision tells us it's by grace through faith. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. There was no merit. There was no work, no status, no privilege. There was nothing within us that we could offer God. There is nothing in us that we can offer God. We can't earn our salvation. We don't deserve our salvation. God saves us by grace through faith. And if God has done that to us, then that's what we need to be conveying to others. When we truly believe the grace of God, it forces us to relate to people on the basis of God's plan, not on our own. We don't relate to people by human merit. We don't relate to people by social status. We don't relate to people by something that they have within them. We relate to them the way that God related to us. By showing grace when we had nothing. The point of this section of James isn't that we are to rely on external ideas. We're not, we're not to rely on people's statuses. We're not to take some validation in how many likes that we got on Facebook or how many likes we got on Instagram or how many likes we got on Twitter or how many likes we got on TikTok or whatever numerous social media platforms that we may be on. We don't find our validation there, and we're not motivated by finding that validation there. We're motivated motivated by the fact that we have found validation in the eyes of our Creator. If we're going to boast in anything, let us boast in Christ. We've been shown grace. So in gratitude to God for the grace that we've been shown, Let us show grace to others. We've been shown mercy. So in the gratitude to God for the mercy that we've been shown, let us show mercy to others. We've been shown love. So in gratitude to God, let us show love to others. We weren't shown favoritism because of what we had done. So in gratitude to God, let's not do that either. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you